Well, welcome to the Technoway Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Katoon. Today's show is brought to you by Active Campaign. See why more than 100,000 businesses use Active Campaign, including Technori, for their email marketing and true automation by going to activecampaign.com slash Technori. Get your first two months for free on me. Today's show, today's guest, I'm going to jump right into it. Uh, Reeves Weedman, who is the author of a book that you have got to read. Uh, it is called Billion Dollar Loser. And I can say billion dollar loser and you probably immediately are thinking Adam Newman. And you'd be correct. That is the WeWork story, the epic rise and spectacular fall of Adam Newman and WeWork. The conversation we had was fantastic. Uh, I'm just so jealous of a guy who gets to sit down and talk to someone like that. We talked about a little bit on the show, sort of the, the feeling that someone like that elicits. And one other thing that's gonna be on this show, and I don't know if you can hear in the background, there's a little bit of noise. It's COVID season, it's 2020. There's people chopping trees down around my house. We worked very hard to get this interview and I wanted to make sure we got it done. So unfortunately there's a little bit of background noise here and there, uh, but otherwise there's just a ton of great stories and great information about how we work just scaled like crazy. I mean, and I said it on the show and I think so did he, you know, there was a day where someone invited me to a WeWork and I was like, oh, what's this? This is cool. And then literally within a year, every meeting I had was in a WeWork. And now I don't ever, well, no one goes anywhere, but the last like six months prior to COVID, I was like not in a WeWork at all. And things are sort of disappearing. And obviously, you know, the, the connection of SoftBank and, and all of it, there's just so much. This show will not nearly cover it. You have to read the book, go buy it, billion dollar loser. But this is my conversation with the author of Billion Dollar Loser, Reeves Wiedemann. So let's get into this. So WeWork, I mean, obviously we were, uh, I've been in them, I've been sponsored by WeWork. Uh, I've had all kinds of involvement we, with WeWork. I used to joke that it was like the cool kids Regis. Yeah. Um, and, and then it turned out maybe not so much. So, so tell, you know, Reeves, tell me all about you and sort of your interest in telling stories and how you got into looking at WeWork just in general and Adam Newman as a, as a subject. I mean, there's a million reasons why a person would look at him and be like something just, I, I feel like I need to jot some notes down here, but obviously yeah. it's different <laughs> to like take on the whole, uh, you know, the whole story. So, so share with us a little bit about yourself and, and your interest. Sure. Um, well, and thanks for having me. And, and so I'm a, I'm a reporter at New York magazine and, and I write about sort of all different topics, but kind of the, the last half decade or so, I've, I've spent a lot of time writing about startups and specifically kind of these large high growth startups. Um, you know, I wrote about Uber sort of it, when they were having their very bad spring when Travis Kalanick was, was kicked out of the company, um, did pieces about Vice Media when they were trying to become the new CNN, the cool CNN. Um, the millennials you, news source. Exactly. You know, <laughs> it was a bold move for a, for a punk magazine, which I, which I think there's, there's lessons kind of from all of these companies that, that we can kind of tie together. But but the point is, um, at New York Magazine, we got interested in WeWork, frankly, because our office was uh, in downtown Manhattan, in Soho. And in the span of a few years, suddenly our building was surrounded by like eight WeWorks. Like literally, if you walked half half a dozen blocks in any direction, you would you would hit one. And so, so we frankly saw it as like, you know, this company is clearly onto something. They're growing very large. We knew a little bit about sort of the the... I guess the quirks um, of, of Adam Newman and the company, but but frankly, we saw it as just like trying to understand how this company became so big. And and this was 
this was to set the context, this was the spring early 2019, so a little over a year and a half ago. Um, long story short, I started reporting on the company and, and by the end of it uh, in June, which was sort of just after the company had announced it was planning to go public, uh, we published our story. And, and by that point, it was obviously about the company's growth, but we had realized, I had realized very quickly that the story was, was Adam and, and we, we called our story at the time, the I and we. Um, and it was just clear that, that for better or worse, for good and for bad, um, everything that had happened at this company came from Adam and, and stemmed from, from him. And so he just, when I, when I sort of, you know, fast forward six months, the company falls apart. Um, it, it seemed to clearly sort of uh, be kind of a, a, a really interesting tale about a company, about a guy who, to my mind, sort of, you know, th there's a lot interesting that happens within the WeWork story, but I think you can, you can sort of sum up a lot of what happened in kind of the startup economy and, and some of the excesses of, of the past decade um, in the WeWork story. Yeah. So I'll tell you, I mean, I have been interviewing founders for, you know, the company wise eight plus years, we've had people on yeah. stage and, you know, Rishi Shaw stands out from outcome health as one that in Chicago in particular was like mm -hmm. the darling and everyone was like, Oh, outcome tower and all this stuff. And I'm, I'm not going to even, I won't even lie. Like I met him. I've known him. Um, I felt awkward. I don't know why. I just, there was something there. There was this like charlatanness sort of trait. And we talk about it with a lot of founders, a lot of VCs. Um, you kind of need it. You need a little bit of it because you're, you're selling. I mean, if you're just, if you're a startup, that's like a service or SaaS, like a little bit less. So it's a sales organization. It's just different. If you have a gigantic dream with like obscene objectives, you have to be a yeah. little bit crazy to start with. And then you have to be a little bit crazy to sell people on it. And the problem with those kind of folks and, and Elon Musk, I mean, obviously is a genius. So like I'm, we'll put him a little bit in a different position, but he yeah. has it too. And like, you know, if you looked at the stock, when it was like a hundred dollars a share, $170 a share. I think people were starting to think like, Oh, mm -hmm. here's another one. And it, the only difference between whether they become Adam Newman or they become Elon Musk is success. Like, do they get it in time and do they get out in time? but there's obviously a little bit more to the story and there's a little bit more to the excess. And there's a little bit more with, with how uh, SoftBank got involved in this and just how, I mean, it, I, I won't put words in your mouth, but I, in my mind, I'm like, I feel like if I'm them, I'm duped. Like how did he pull this off? So I'm just curious, like you started seeing this thing come together. You're like, wow, they're moving really fast. Like even, even in startup world, like this is really fast. And as you started to peel the layers back, what did you start to see? Like, what was the, what were the things as a journalist that you're like, hmm, that doesn't smell right. Like there's, I'm going to go one more layer and then it just keeps, the onion just gets richer and richer. Well, you could start with the fact that in 2018, uh, WeWork opened an elementary school. That's an unusual thing uh, for, for yes. any company um, and particularly for a company that, that rents out office space. Um, a year, two years before that, they had invested in a wave pool company uh, for to create these kind of inland surfing pools, uh, which was a, a particular interest of, of Adam Newman's. And I think you look at all these things and you can sort of say it's 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 excess, it's in, in the wave pool, it's the case of uh, a CEO just kind of doing something because he wants to. Um, where I think the problem 
emerges. And, and again, this kind of goes back to what I was talking about with, with Vice, where they, they didn't just want to be this cool punk documentary company. Um, they wanted to be the new millennial CNN, um, Uber. I, I think a lot of the issues that they've had is that they don't want to just be a, a really functional taxi service. They want to change the way we move people and things around the world. Um, with WeWork, by the time I was writing about them, they were no longer, you know, one of their early mission statements was um, make a life, not a living. It, it's, it, was, it was about like making sure that your day at work is, is helping you build a great life. That's a, that's a mission everyone can get behind. You can, you can sort of understand it and, and why you would want that. By the time I was writing about them, the mission was to elevate the world's consciousness. And so when you combine something like that with the various ways that the company was trying to do so many different things and frankly was, was enabled by SoftBank and others to spend money yeah. to do all these other things. I, I think that's where a lot of these companies go off the rails is going from, we do something very well, let's do that as well as we possibly can to, we do one thing really well, let's take over all kinds of, of different things. And I, I think in a lot of ways, that's one of the biggest factors um, of, of why the company ultimately sort of well there's there's the god complex yeah. that i think a lot of these founders start to get and i i tweet about it all the time like i am very pro founder so people listening to this show are like whoa he's ripping on founder like i rip on founders all the time that's not new i i i, I tweet about all the time the fact that like once it's like founders will tell you you know fail fast i don't know anything like i'm all about learning and then they figure out something that for you and I, the regular person who lives a somewhat normal life, you already yep. know. And they think they discovered plutonium. <laughs> yeah. And then next thing you know, they're like trying to find a way to blend tech to change your life. And you're like, dude, I got a pencil. Like, I don't That's need, I don't need anything yeah. else. I'm, I'm good. You know, and, and it's solving and problems it, that, that don't need solving. Well, it's like new to them. Mm -hmm. And then they have all the money. And if you've made somebody money, even if it's on paper, they feel like compelled to be able to get more of it. And then the investor's like, well, shit, this guy knows everything. He's smarter than me. And then they start pumping money in them. And before you know it, they're flying around jets doing yoga in the air. And you're like, what the hell happened? And I guess the part that I'm curious about, and this is less subjective and more like just straight facts, is the business model of the original dream still was rife with problems. Mm -hmm. Like that's the part of this that sort of blows me away. And, and the same thing with Rishi and Outcome, like they still had a problem. It wasn't just about fraud and about the founder and crazy. They were having a hard time with adoption. We work was having a hard time making actual money. Mm -hmm. And if, and we're seeing it right now, if the pandemic hits or anything, even less than the pandemic, the entire house of cards falls. Yeah. And so that's the part that I get confused on when we look at this and it's like, you're spending all this money on all these crazy things. And in SoftBank, is, they're not stupid. They've had some pretty big wings, wins just even recently. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm just, I'm curious from your digging, like at, at any point here, were they like, oh, you know, this business model is, you know, meh? Like, yes, plenty of people said that. And, and you said it sort of perfectly at the, at the top was, uh, you know, this was, WeWork was, was a cool version of Regis. This business model existed. Regis exists as a perfectly fine business. Um, if you can make the margin work of leasing out office space and renting it out at a, at a higher price, you can make that work, but it's risky. And when, when the economy um, takes a downturn, as it now has, um, you can get stuck holding, holding these leases with, with no money coming in. And, and from there, 
it's not clear, and it, it was never really clear to most people, what exactly made WeWork worth so much more than Regis. And I think, you know, if, if you want to take- They called themselves a tech company. That was, that was essentially- They called, yeah, they, they did. And, and, and I think, you know, as I talked to people internally, I don't know if any of them totally believed that, maybe aside from, from Adam Newman. Um, and, and I think they all knew it was a, it was a good sales pitch. Um, they certainly tried many, many things to try to make the company a tech company. But when you look at a, someone like SoftBank and Masayoshi San, like plenty of people, the rank and file at SoftBank looked at this investment when they were doing it and they were like, what's going on here? This is, this is a real estate company. We invest in, in tech companies. Um, you know, we, we understand the business and it's unclear how this is going to somehow have network effects that are going to make it worth so much more money than, than this basic sort of rent arbitrage. What it came down to was, was Masayoshi San, much like Adam Newman, is a charismatic figure who likes making big bets and likes dreaming big. And, and there was a version of this story where if we work could against, frankly, all logic, um, take over and, and become the largest commercial real estate provider in the world, that's a huge company. There are all kinds of obstacles in the way. And I think in, in, in many ways, it just came down to Masa and Adam wanting to dream big together and sort of finding each other at, at sort of the perfectly wrong moment, I think, frankly, for both of them. That's a perfect way to state it. And it's, it's so, and it's crazy because they were on their way in some regards. Like if you look at like Chicago and New York and Los Angeles and obviously other places in the world, um, they were taking space in all these, I mean, there's like eight, nine WeWorks between Michigan Avenue and the river in Chicago. I mean, I, every meeting, it, there was a day where I was like, oh, I'm going to get to go speak at a WeWork. I'm excited to see what this looks yeah. like. And then within a year, every meeting I had was at a WeWork of some sort. <laughs> yeah. Salesforce was taking space from WeWork. Everybody was taking that. And I'll tell you this, from, a, from getting to know them, and I, I, I actually did uh, do some sponsor stuff with them. Mm-hmm. And so I guess, I don't know, I don't have to be full disclosure, mine's opinion, but for you, I guess you'd have to say that. Yeah. Um, I'll, the one secret sauce that I thought they got really, really right, and I don't know if this is actually a good thing, but it was good for them, uh, was the culture sort of, not just the culture that they, they implemented, but the culture of the people that they hired. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so like I had uh, Industrious CEO on here. I've had Notel CEO on the show. Uh, I've talked, you know, Novel Offices. I've talked to all these different guys. They're, they're all different. They all have this real estate sort of background and it's, it's like, you know, microeconomics and you know, every single play that they have is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. We work was this like dreamy culture. And I remember meeting their like person in Chicago the first time and just thinking like, what a bizarre individual. Mm-hmm. Like, I know it sounds weird, but that was, I was like, what a bizarre individual. She was a wonderful person, but she like, she had her cat with her everywhere. And like people were in like, the office? yeah, she would walk around with it, like petting this thing, <laughs> like Dr. Evil. And I'm just like, this is fucking weird. Where am I? And all of the people I knew who were founders who would come into this, they were, and these are guys and girls that I, I've known for years. They loved it. And they would like walk around with like flip flops on. And it was just, it was like Soho house for business. <laughs> and I just remember thinking like, I can, I can see this kind of becoming a thing as long as the, the curator of each WeWork really had 
like that sort of Adam Newman-y way to them. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I never could figure out how the hell they kept rent. That was yeah. Well, I, I think that was the appealing part, and I think when when you look at it, you know that that kind of environment you described is really appealing to some people and a big turnoff to other people. Yeah. And 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 I think one thing that we were struggled with and and continues to struggle with is um, it's it's hard. And and somebody had told me this. You know, you mentioned some of these other people who who run pretty big companies. There's there's I mean, for every WeWork there is in Chicago, I'm sure there's five times as many smaller kind of co-working spaces and, and, and they might have less space total, but we were running 87 of them at the peak of WeWork, okay. COVID, yeah. 87 yeah. co-working spaces in just in downtown Chicago. Now I've got yeah. them in the suburbs. There's one down the street from here in Glen Ellen. It's insane. Yeah. I mean, and, and I remember there was, there was a story in the, in the book, you know, Rahm Emanuel like begged Adam Newman to, to come to, to Chicago. Like there was a, there was a way in which co-working was kind of, it was a cool place to work. Um, and, and it seemed to foster these kind of communities. What's hard is, and this is a problem that comes up again and again, and I hate even sort of saying this, but like doing it at scale yeah. and how do you build a community at scale? And, and I talked to a few people who ran these smaller companies who, you know, Adam at various points tried to buy them or, or competed with them or tried to crush them. Um, and, and they all said the hard part is you, you can have one cat lady running one place, but you can't have that in every, every place and no. also still expect to have the kind of uniform experience that, that WeWork was trying to provide. It's it just required to, to scale. I mean, that, that's the part that made it impossible. It's funny. You like, so the, the no-tell guy, I don't know why I'm blanking on his name right now, but he was on the show. Oh, oh yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So, so he tells me, he goes, you want to, and again, this is pre COVID. It's so like asterisks, everything. Yeah. He was like, you know, when I knew we were onto something big is when WeWork started copying what we were doing uh-huh. when they started going into trying to like build space for corporate and this whole thing. And he was like, that was when I knew I was like, Oh, okay. So they just been screwing. They don't, they don't get it. They have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there, there was a lot of copying and I don't even think WeWork people, you know, I, I remember asking, I remember asking Adam this because they weren't the first co-working space, like not, yeah. e- not even close. The, Adam's vision was was to grow. That's that was his key. And and I remember when I when I interviewed him um, last year, you know, he sort of said, you know, I don't know who invents what when you're coming up with the iPhone. Like, who was the originator of that? And and he certainly saw himself as sort of a Steve Jobsian figure, this kind of person who, you know, Steve Jobs wasn't the one in there tinkering with every little detail to make it right. He was the one who had the vision and drove the place and and that is kind of what adam how adam saw himself and and a lot of people in the business also uh, on the flip side of what what amal was maybe saying is we work was the best advertising for the co-working business you could possibly yes. imagine adam was the best profit for it and to to sort of use the the that's perfect connotations that, that come for it he was the one out there proclaiming that this was going to be the new way of working and all these other co-working spaces, as much as they might kind of roll their eyes, they sort of were, were able to expand and grow kind of in WeWork's wake as well. Oh, hundred percent. And the irony of course, being that the profit turned no profit. Yes. I had to, I had to throw that in there. I was, I was yeah. waiting on it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a pun. It's just, it's too perfect sort of sitting right there for you. We don't, don't work. Blame you. We don't work. Um, so I, I have to ask you just, when you talk to a guy like Adam and, and like I said, I've, I've been around some of these type of guys and, and, and girls too. I mean, Theranos is another example of this. Sure. Um, what was that? 
I, I would just love to know the aura, the feeling, because I've described this with, you know, I had numerous people, or I don't know if you do research, I'm sure you, your people look up before you come on shows and make sure that it's like moderately legit. But on our <laughs> that's YouTube- That's what they said, you're moderately legit. That's, yeah. And that's all we, we strive for, is just moderate amount of legitimate. Yeah. Um, so when Rishi was on, you know, he was on our stage and launched the company, like this is right out of Northwestern. So this is like mm-hmm. in context media. Mm-hmm. And our YouTube channel just got barraged. Like when it came out, I mean, I had to turn off comments on hundreds. And, and of course, you know how it goes. Like it's all kinds of really not okay stuff to write sure. hundreds of things. And it got to a point where we started talking and doing kind of speaking events around this. Like, when is it okay to be too fake? Fake it till you make it until when? Mm-hmm. And I started describing, I was like, I can't put words in this person's mouth. He has not gone to trial. I cannot make any, I'm not going to go out and say anything about him other than to say that when I describe an aura, there was this sort of ability to suck the oxygen out of the room, make it his mm-hmm. and tell you whatever. And by the time you were done with it, you were just like, shit, maybe he's right. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious, like, cause I've never been that close to someone like Adam, I think is like at the highest level of this. What is it like to be in a room with this person? What is it like to talk to this person? How does it, is it like, cause I get this David Koreshi feeling when I think about it, like how, I, I just love to know from someone who's really had a chance to talk to him, like, what did it feel like? What was his mannerisms like? Did he like, is there, was there a way that he goes about trying to convince you of things or does he just tell it matter of fact? Like, you know, when someone says something like they, they almost believe it or like they're lying. It's like George Cassandra, it's not a lie if you believe it. Like, yeah. what, what was that experience like? I think dominating the room is 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 a thing that that Adam was very good at, and and that all these people are are very good at is, and and a large part of that is is knowing who his audience is, and he would tailor his pitches. If he's talking to an investor, he's got a particular kind of pitch. If he's talking to a landlord who might be kind of skeptical, he he knows how to talk to that kind of person, and when he's talking to me, he he knows how to how to talked to journalists, he talked to, to many of them and, and frankly charmed um, many, of, many of them over the years and, and sort of the media narrative around WeWork um, uh, is, you know, was a big part of its growth. And, and I think, you know, when, when you get into a room with him, there's a way in which you want to believe. Everything he's saying sounds great. Elevating the world's consciousness. I don't entirely know what that means. And when I asked Adam, he didn't offer a great example, but it sounds like a nice thing. Make a life, not a living. Sounds like a great thing. And so you want to, you're sort of predisposed to want to believe what he's saying. And that's something I heard over and over from employees, investors, and others. And then there's a certain level of like, he's so confident in the way that he speaks and had had so much success that you're sort of like, maybe he's right. Like maybe he has figured something else, something out that I haven't. And that was something that other people in the real estate world told me is they kept worrying. They kept thinking maybe Adam, maybe WeWork has, has figured out some, some way to like sort of warp the economics of this business that, that I don't understand because otherwise I can't explain it. And then of course you get to the S1 being released um, publicly before the IPO and everyone looks at it and they're like, oh, he, he hasn't. Exactly what I thought. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I, you know, I think dominating the room and, and knowing his audience and, and, you know, some people describe Adam's a smart guy. 
you know, there was some, there's some sort of perception of him as, you know, he smokes a lot of pot and he surfs a lot and says crazy things. He's a smart guy. And, and a number of people sort of told me his, his skill, and this is, you know, there's a sort of negative connotation to this was, but, but was that he was a manipulator and he knew how to manipulate situations, manipulate people. Um, and, and I think as with all things, that can be a great skill. Um, and then it can also get you into a lot of trouble. I think it's a, a super necessary skill when you're starting a business, particularly something crazy. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's also one of those things where it goes bad once you figure right. out your power. It's like when you think you can manipulate people like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, I'm good at this. I'm better at this than others. Once you realize what it is, it's like immediately, like I think you, yeah. you go well, to the dark we side. We talked a lot about, especially once they started their elementary school, um, embracing uh, every person's superpower. And finding that superpower and helping you grow it. And I asked Adam what his superpower was, um, and he told me change. He told me his ability to to change, and and I think he saw it as an ability to evolve evolve um, over time. I could read it as an ability to adapt and morph himself to kind of whatever situation he was in. So, can I just tell you that's like a, a creepy? There's a creepy there, like. I get that like key heebie-jeebies a little when someone says something like that. Yeah, totally. And I think that's what's weird. And, it, and it's hard for me. I mean, you know, you probably have some of the same impulse, especially I think if you spend a lot of time around um, founders in some ways, some of them are, are very way sincere. I spend <laughs> some of them are very sincere and thoughtful and, and in it for the right reasons and building great companies. Um, some of them are, are in it for themselves. Some of them are, are, are in it to, to get rich. And, and there's overlap between those two groups. And I think it's really tricky in some ways to figure out who the, you know, who fits in, in which. which it's category. funny. Like I, I have found, again, you've done way more research on this. This is me just like living life and sort of seeing things yeah. come through. I, I have found that more often than not, the founders who come into it completely trying to scam fail very early on. They may yep. be able to rip off people for up to a million or something, take some investor money, but they're out. I don't think Rishi and Adam and these guys came into this with the wrong intentions. I think that they, you know, that you talked about, uh, is it to get rich? Is it to get even? Is it to get whatever? You know, I, the internal motivations for how we do everything in life is different. You know, I, half the shit that I do is because I want to get back at someone who told me I'm a loser 12 years ago. You know, <laughs> it's just, and they're wrong. And so that's why I'm doing this. But, um, you know, so we all have reasons they can be predisposed to being, you know, going the wrong direction. But I don't think most of these guys go into this like intentionally to, to be corrupt. Yep. There's just this like line when they realize like no one's checking them. Yeah. And I think that's what I, I kept asking people that like, did Adam believe the BS that he was spewing? Did he believe that we work was changing the world and capable of doing so? And I, I think the answer was yes. And I, and I think, you know, an important part of this story is we work from the outset. It, it was a real business. You know, this was not Theranos where the machine never worked. Like the early WeWorks, you talk to people and it was like the coolest office they had ever been in. It was growing fast, but not insanely fast. Um, and so, so it's almost more dangerous when, when someone like Adam has legitimate success gains some real legitimacy and then you do get to this point at which as he told people half in jest maybe half in not that he was one day planning to run to become president of the world 
um, among other sort of political. Well, you know what? On the current trajectory, who the hell knows? Sure. But we might well have a president of the world <laughs> soon, and they probably will be uh, a charlatan. Probably an, an Adam Newman-like figure, for for better or worse. It's scary business. Um, so I guess the last kind of thing I have for you is obviously you're, you're looking at the numbers of this stuff, and you know that company when they're filing to go public, I mean, everyone, there's smart people on the banking side, they had to recognize that this is going to go very poorly. Mm-hmm. What do you think the impact of this whole thing has been on, you know, I guess two-sided on, on the founders and on the investor side of companies that were going to go public that maybe have run their business or their CEOs were running things like this. And on the investor side, particularly institutional who were like, okay, mm, God, I'm not really into IP. Like, cause you're seeing all these uh, SPACs that, are yeah. popping up everywhere and, and this direct listings. I feel like that's a direct like reaction from something like to this. this. Yeah. Yeah. I think there had been a lot of frustration in Silicon Valley for a variety of reasons about the IPO process. Um, and uh, Silicon Valley, it should be said, likes to, liked to claim WeWork uh, when it was useful and likes to reject WeWork as, as part of its group. When Just like we do with Outcome Health. We love <laughs> the story as they were on the way up. And then it was like, right. what's that? Rishi who? What? Exactly. But I, th- I, I thought one of the more interesting responses after everything fell apart and Adam was pushed out and the IPO failed um, came from uh, Ben Horowitz at Andreessen Horowitz, who's you know a, a fairly prominent VC, and and he talked about how, as he was talking to founders, he would ask them about Adam and he would ask them what they thought of this, and and the answer he was looking for was not, he's a charlatan and this was all BS. Um, it also wasn't like. He's amazing. That's incredible that he got out with with a billion dollar exit package as as he did. Um, but it, it was to see both of those things to see and and I think as I as I was writing this book, one thing that became clear to me is like a certain type of person could read this as a manual for success. Um, it shows exactly how Adam was successful um, along the way. There's a way to read the end of the. Um, and the book is as not a terrible outcome for him. He's he's wealthy, sort of beyond um, beyond anything. And then there's of course another way to take this as a very cautionary tale. So it's sort of a a way of saying I think I think the lesson is that to try to take sort of the good parts of WeWork and and then you know not figure out the ways that it went off the rail and and avoid that. Based on your your knowledge of, of him and, and the situation, do you think there's a second act for him? Is there room for that? Yeah. I mean, I think it is a little different than some other founders to mention, you know, Travis Kalanick is back. Um, but he, the, one, one thing that, that Adam has to deal with is, is he became a little bit of a laughing stock. And I think that's going to be a hard thing for, for him to deal with, but you know, uh, power has changed though. So he, he'll just morph and then be fine. Exactly. And, and everyone loves a second act. Um, it is hard to imagine that someone with money um, will not give a charismatic, very tall man um, with a big vision uh, another chance, whether that's uh, in politics or, or business or otherwise. Um, Adam's in his early 40s, and I cannot imagine that he is prepared to just surf for the rest of his days. So I, I think he'll be back. And we'll just have to see what that looks like. I, I agree with you. I think there's no way he's not. And, and you know, if you leave with whatever, I don't know what it, if it ends up being a full billion. Does he does he actually cash that? I, I don't know. He hasn't. It's it, the long Still story in- short is it's it's tied up with the lawyers right now. Um, but he'll 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 have a good chunk of money one way or another. Yeah, I was gonna say it's it's at least half a billion that will end up in his pocket. Like there's no real way around that. 
it's uh, we had several exits of, you know, three, four, $500 million here. And those founders have reported that they make more money trading and investing right now than their companies that they've sold wow. doing revenue. So mm-hmm. my guess is if he walks with a half a billion dollars and he makes another $200 million in interest of some capacity, that it's going to be impossible for a person who was going to be president of the world to just walk away. So yeah. I, I totally anticipate a, a second and third act out of him. Uh, this has been a total pleasure. Uh, I'm sorry Likewise. for the background noise and all the craziness. Um, it. Well, I don't know if I'm apologizing to, to you. Or, yeah, this is, this is 2020. Trees are falling right in front of us. Um, highly recommend people get this book. I have not read it as I never read the book before I talk to you. I'm now going to get the book now that you've properly set this up. Uh, Billion Dollar Loser is the name of the book. You can get it, I'm guessing, anywhere. Is that correct? At this point, yep. Uh, you can get this it from Jeff Bezos or your, or your local bookstore, whatever you prefer. That's another podcast for another day. Exactly. Uh, Thank you so much for coming in. Thanks, Scott. Of course. For everyone else listening to the show, you know how to get the more of this. You just follow me at Katoon on Twitter, follow Technora and everything social and do sign up for the newsletter on Technora.com if you're not, because we have all kinds of companies, mostly not run by charlatans that you can invest in on equity crowdfunding at republic.co. Boom. That's a wrap.